Hello, everyone. It's Nick Walters again with the National Industrial Hemp Growers Digest. Welcome to another edition of our podcast. And as we have typically done, we are bringing you quality folks to listen to and to talk to today. And today is not any exception of that. I'm tickled slapped to death to have Clayton Turner, uh, who is here uh, live uh, from Olympia, Washington right now with Hemp Blockchain. And Clayton, you got more going on than, you know, uh, uh, most people can say grace over. I mean, you got all kinds of good stuff going on and we're tickled to death to learn more about all of that and what you got doing. And so, man, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it's been a really um, interesting whirlwind. I'll, I'll give you some backstory on who I am and what I've been up to. Um, yeah, no, I started in extraction. That was my primary thing I used to do about a decade ago out on the mountain of Humboldt. You can find me out in the snow in California um, <laughs> trying to hook up generators in order to put in a device called the Weed Witch, which you can still find online, oh. uh, made by a crazy Australian and myself and another individual named Jamie. We designed one of the primary original old school extraction devices. And uh, uh, right when, you know, things were starting to legalize and we replaced a rotary evaporator with a stainless steel model that's more like a, what's called an ASRS, which is an automated solvent recovery system. And at one point at MJ BizCon for a brief window uh, several years ago, we were the fastest extractor on the market with our design. Uh -huh. uh, so yeah, we, we made uh, whiskey and uh, copper stills and, um, uh, you know, 200 gallon whiskey stills out in Maine and, and in, uh, you know, Massachusetts um, award winning gin here in Washington state. So we, we did a lot of time doing distilling ethanol production, um, you know, alcohol and so on, but, but it turned out that the cannabis business was big enough that it could take our full attention. And one of the things they need in cannabis is ethanol. So our system that we had back then was get a TTB permit, make your own ethanol, use it for extraction, uh, do it all legally, cut yourself a bunch of money savings and taxes, transport, do it green. And you're able to make your own ethanol and then extract with it. And if you want to make organic ethanol, then you've got organic solvent to extract your hemp with. And so that's what was, was like our whole little combo there was to tie it all together. Um, we I, I did that for a few years and then everything just started getting bigger and I realized hemp was coming. So about six years ago, I started really switching my gears and going, what could I do for hemp. And so then it started to be, okay, we need to do 50,000 pounds a day. The biggest facility I've worked at, no joke, they can do wet material up to, oh, it's over 250,000 pounds a day. And wow. I did their back end. Yeah. They're, they're out on the East coast and they are a prior cotton gin and they are absolutely amazing. It's acres and acres. If you've ever seen a cotton gin, they are just yep massive. And so, uh, I, I helped them with their back end. So that's the biggest system I've, I've given input on, on filtration and actually sold equipment to, to, to help, uh, with their cleanup. And so, you know, we've done some big work, big facilities. I've installed over 20 facilities, uh, legal recreational licenses, gummy machine installation, uh, automated sorting machines and so on. And then I got into the big industrial hemp side of things though. And we started to look at, well, what else do we need to do to the plant? Because for me to 
to process it. I need to do a bunch of other stuff to it. So when I had been extracting in Roseburg, I'd made friends with a little shout out here to Terratech, good friends of mine uh, out of the Ukraine. And they build decortication equipment and other hemp processing equipment because they've been doing it since, you know, forever. They never stopped. So they they were making rope for boats in the Ukraine since the dawn of time. Uh, So so these guys had all the machinery since the 1800s that does all the type of decortication that you'd want to do. It's not a milling machine. It doesn't chop it up. This is a a straight decorticator. So, um, you know, I started working with them on that, on dryers, bringing dryers in, looking at what is the best system of drying hemp? Do we even need to dry it in certain instances? And then breaking down the supply chain. And as I did it, I was like, well, hemp can sequester a lot of carbon. I need to develop a system to track all of this. And also I have THC issues. Like they might till my fields. I've, I mean, we planted when I, um, you know, this whole time I've been founding companies, Rainier Distillers, Washington State Enterprises, HPLC Solutions, uh, becoming a partner at Santa Fe Farms. Each time I was doing these processes, we would get another business. And, and you know, some of them are kind of big. And, and you know, I, I realized there needs to be a way to track the carbon in the soil. There needs to be a way to make a net carbon credit. There needs to be a way to track the above ground plant sequestration of that carbon. And there needs to be a way to get it to market because and, and qualify what the product is and also keep the tracking on the legality of it so that you're tracking if it's over a certain amount of THC because it is a controlled substance in that regard and making sure that the CBD is what it says it is and there aren't pesticides if it's organic. How do you do all the testing on that? How do you do the soil emulsion testing to make sure that the carbon's what it says it is and even if you did all this who's going to take your word for it right like it has no value at the end because who the hell are you random company to do all that because i say so yeah, yeah, I don't think it's going to so I was like, no, I need an agnostic third party who then employs scientists at Intertech and other companies and testing labs to third party test. And then I need to fund those third party tests. How the hell am I going to do this? So years ago, about three years ago, I said blockchain. And how do I make a blockchain inventory system that's carbon neutral? At the time, no blockchain was carbon neutral. And then how do I get it to, um, how do I get it to become a protocol for sequestering carbon, which we can go into of how we made our blockchain actually actively sequester carbon rather than generate it. And, and so, so that brought into the, the software company of the hemp blockchain company. And in the last few years, I've been doing things on the side, like inventing um, systems for making a battery completely out of hemp, which as of today, I don't know of anyone else in the world that's done that, that's announced anything on it or shown a process to do it. Um, that's a 100% hemp battery down to the electrolyte. Um, we have also done a, uh, um, uh, there's different products I've made, drywalls, plastics, um, and we feel we have a unique material system for actually sequestering carbon into building materials to make the act of building houses carbon neutral. And, and yeah. by the way, this would be using standard products. We don't need what I call a magic brick or a magic solution of some special thing that you need to build with differently and train everyone differently and have special factories. We'd be doing this with regular cement that we augment with regular products that we offset. So there's there's a there's a way to do this without changing the way that people currently do business. So I'll explain that as well. Well, heck yeah, man. I mean, look, 
I feel like I'm drinking water from a fire hydrant already. You got so much coming my direction of all the good things that you're doing. This is real. And, but that doesn't that lead itself really to kind of hemp itself, right? Cause mm-hmm. it will do all these things. I know when I first kind of got into this and you shared with us what I always like to ask, which is the hemp aha moment. Um, uh, you've shared very well about what yours is. I mean, I know when I first started looking at, into this, I'm thinking, come on, man, this stuff's not going to do all of this stuff that everybody tells me it's going to do. And, de- and just doing a very rudimentary look under the hood to understand about what it all will do. Um, it does get a lot coming at you at once. And so and in a good way. And so hooray and hooray for all of that. I mean, of what you've done. That's really great. To expand on your point, like you, you, so when you're, when you're looking at the 50,000 products, which is the same thing, you know, depending on who you talk to 20 to 50,000 products. But what I said is, well, what are the 10 most profitable that we can make with the lowest cost of entry? I mean, if you have 50,000 or 20,000 choices, you've probably got some pretty profitable stuff in there. And right. so, and when right. you make those, what are the waste streams? And then when you make those waste streams, what what can you make out of those products, right? So let's take a, a plant in the field, right? You have your stem and you have your uh, the tops of the plant. I'm talking an industrial hemp plant as opposed to sure. a CBD hemp plant. So you got your stock, you got your roots, you have your, your tops and you have your, your seeds potentially that you could get. And so when you harvest the plant, are you going to take the tops first? If you take the tops first, you can extract those for CBD. You won't get a whole lot, but you can if you get your costs down. And you can also um, uh, extract terpenes at massive volume from these plants. And terpenes right now on the open market, if they taste good, you know, real organic hemp terpenes can go for $5,000 a liter. I got about 30 liters in the other room here. And they they are, you know, if you if you sell them to people they go in bait cartridges they go in you know any the herbal products you know they're, they're anything where you've got hemp or cannabis you're going to put terpenes the reason why is the primary difference between an indica and sativa for your emotions and what happens to you is just the terpenes so when you take out and you extract a cannabinoid if you just have isolate or whatever it will hit you with the thc but it won't have the entourage effect it won't make you wakey or sleepy or whatever it's just going to be like this is how thc hits you hits your cb1 cb2 receptors and that's it but what happens when you have terpenes added in the mix you now have a, a different chemical reaction going on because they're they're hitting your receptors as well and they're changing what's occurring from your high in your body and it seems weird that just aromatic fragrances would do that but these are solvents like alcohol and so <laughs> they're um they're also amazing products because um if you look at pine saw and uh, lemon pledge those are used for cleaning because the terpenes They'll, they kill everything. They melt plastic. They kill flies out of the air. They, uh, it will, it will don't store it in anything except glass because it'll, it'll just eat it. And right. so this is a very, you, you put this on a surface and it just kills everything. Like, that's why they say like, like this, this plant is killing COVID and stuff. There's a couple of reasons why, but physically on contact, if it gets hit with terpenes, you're going to kill COVID. You're going to kill most things. It works like alcohol, uh, just alcohol with a boost. And so, uh, so so the so you have this great solvent in there. If you look at the cost of growing a lemon tree 
and the cost of growing, you know, the tops of plants you would be throwing away anyway to get the other product, right. then you could steam distill those. Now, this is going to be important for later. You bring in all the plant material stems and you're going to decorticate that because to be useful, it has to go either into herd cellulose or be powdered into a micronized form. So you got to be able to do one of those processes to get it to its next step. But the good news is by doing that, you now have three different products. You have micronized hemp, you have cellulose and herd, and each one of those can go into another product stream, whether that be paper making or so on. Sure. For us, we've looked at carbonization. Uh, any process that we're paired with, anything that we do is going to need a way to dispose of the parts when it's done. Good example would be the tops of all those plants that we take. If we take those tops in and we separate the seeds and then we take what's left of anything with terpenes and we steam distill that to get the, the solvent that we can use for any number of health and beauty products and, you know, vape pens, et cetera. And we can separate it into grades. So the really high grade stuff goes to vape pens. The low grade stuff goes to industrial solvent cleaning. There's even reports that uh, terpenes like eucalyptol can make the production of graphene 200 times cheaper. And where are you going to get enough eucalyptol if you don't grow eucalyptus trees as a country to make graphene? And you, you're going to need to. So you can get eucalyptol from hemp, uh, especially if you take into account gearing your genetics to provide specific terpenes, which I do think is part of the future is optimizing the plant for these products. But as you run these heat processes on this biomass, you get to make biochar as your first product. Uh -huh. so you're able to make biochar and the systems that we have engineered in our stack. And we've just applied for the X prize as well for the, for the big one, the big prize, uh, the save the earth prize. Uh, what, what we're doing is we use an emissions free pyrolysis system. Ours has specific temperatures that other machines on the market can't hit for the price with a massive throughput, seven, 75,000 pounds a day. And what we do is all of our waste material, any extra forestry waste material from Woody Biomass, as well as our waste material from our process of making products, oftentimes herd is considered, you know, a animal bedding in a lower grade material, right. but I can crank it up to three bucks a pound if I make it conductive. So, and that's it. That's a low price at bulk. If you go to mscsupplies.com and you want 50 grams of conductive P carbon, it's going to cost you somewhere in the realm of 60 to $200, depending on what type you need. We can make that and micronize it out of that hemp. It's one of the best structural components for batteries on the planet. And so it's renewable as well because we're not making emissions, making the product, but we make something amazing when we run this process. We make a lot of heat. Every pound of woody biomass, which hemp counts as, just like wood root and, and wood tree trunk and everything, sure. this herd has the same energy composition. And when you make it bone dry, if you look at bone dry biomass, the, the amount of beets... And you mean from the herd? Yeah, yeah. So that you take the herd... After you've done the biochar, after you've charred it. Uh, yeah, after I've decorticated it, when I'm burning so, it. So, yeah, so when, yeah. you, when you put this in at 10% dryness or less... And our system micronizes it and takes it down to 2% dryness. So when you have bone dry woody biomass, you get 8,500 BTU of energy. So that's 9 wow. million joules per pound. That's why a coal plant is a 50 megawatt power facility of about the same size. If you burn 75,000 pounds of coal, you'll, you'll have about a 50 megawatt power you know, facility. So what you do is with our systems, 
we take that heat energy and we run it to a boiler that we had engineered. And that boiler generates a bunch of steam energy. Extraction takes steam energy. Ethanol production takes steam energy. Terpene extraction takes steam energy. Sure. Degumming cellulose takes steam energy. So whether you're making cloth and you need to, this has to be, the sugars have to be taken out of this, it has to be bleached down. That's a heat process. We, right. we can provide the heat. it. Right, right. So then you've got, in addition to that, you've got the process of extraction. Well, you have a solvent in a container. You got to heat that container up and then the solvent boils off and you're left with your CBD oil or your other product, right? So you have to have heat in that process. So that's a steam-based extraction process for ethanol. If you run ethanol production, the biggest cost of running ethanol is the heat. And one of the ways that you get cellulosically extracted ethanol is to steam blast cellulose from hemp. However, it's a costly procedure because you're steam blasting it just to get that one product. But for us, this would be considered DDGS or dried distillers, grains, and solubles in another industry. But for me, this is now a valuable product called de degummed, you know, uh, 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 hemp. So the runoff from that, which is normally a waste product, can now be used as a feedstock for the mash production of the ethanol and the heat from the steam that we needed initially is then transitioned to warm water. And that warm water is then used to keep your vats of yeast alive. Your vats of yeast can have specific cannabinoid generating CBD and other cannabinoid generating yeast in it for specific exact cannabinoids for pharmaceutical production. And that can all be taking place while making your ethanol. One of the biggest things ethanol does do is produce CO2. So there's a lot of CO2 from yeast, many, 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 many pounds of it. You look at champagne or beer, you know, it's fizzy. In the case of ethanol production, it's not fizzy because you capture all the ethanol elsewhere so as we capture that ethanol we have either processes of milling for um uh carbon uh uh production of very micronized carbon for batteries or we could use it in limestone to cure the limestone bricks to make different housing products and materials so we can actually they, they have a need for that or even algae production or greenhouses or just people who need containers of CO2 that's produced renewably. We can do that process for people and we can even make it green and sink that carbon also all while using waste energy. So now, since we're using waste energy for all these processes, we're able to do each of these processes dirt cheap because we didn't have to pay for energy. The feedstock would normally be thrown away anyway if you don't have the facility. Uh, and so you're able to intake and divert every line to its best use. And that wow. raises the profitability of each section of what you're doing for each end product you want to make. And then each product is a very simple powder and or product that can go into things like hemp drywall that I have here, um, which is you wouldn't be able to do with regular hemp. It wouldn't have the same structural composition, but because we're not making just biochar, we're making an advanced form of carbon called carbon black, which is both also conductive carbon black. If we choose to make it conductive by changing the heat, the, the recipe, we don't use any chemicals to make this product. It is strictly a heat and kinetic process. Um, and uh, even the drying is kinetic, which means we're very efficient on our energy use and we're able to use that steam elsewhere so this is a very efficient system and we're looking at adding additional components to it because when you run pyrolysis 
you generate syngas at 12% of the weight. And that syngas is a natural gas. And that can be broken down into clean burning DME fuel, which you might see BP doing when they say, we're turning switchgrass into jet fuel. They're doing right. it by using a Venturi to crash out syngas into a liquid fuel that burns clean. We can also pump it into um, a generator. And then there's a type of metal, eutetic uh, illic gallium. And I know I murdered that, but this type <laughs> of metal melts at 120 degrees Celsius. And you can think of Mentos. If you've ever seen Mentos and Diet Coke, when you drop the Mento in there and it explodes, imagine you had a Mento that did that in reverse. If you dropped a Mento into the Coke and all the carbon just flaked into solid carbon and dropped to the bottom of the glass. This is the same process, but you need a heated heavy metal that you pump the CO2 through. And what will happen is by the time the CO2 passes to the top, it has been compressed and, and creates carbon flakes that are skimmed from the surface. So if we have our generators and we have syngas, we can burn our syngas with our generators. We can capture that carbon with this product. There's also another product um, out there, tin selenide, which is a new type of energy capture material that's cheap and um, easy to make in mass. We're looking at testing that and getting a partner to uh, be able to capture 40% of the energy we generate from our emissions-free heat process. That would make us a massive power generator with the steam. You know, We're still capturing the heat from, from the steam generation on the outside of the tubes. And then we're capturing the actual turbine as well. And we have another type of engine that can intake the natural gas and is a very clean burning engine. And then any emissions from that process, we can trap the carbon of. So we're looking at stacking that all together to create a power plant essentially to run our entire facility 24 seven. And it all runs off of the act of making our products. So wow. by doing our business, we make our products. And I look at this like a Henry Ford regenerative assembly line, right? We're going to sequester carbon in the action of our process. We're going to track all of our transportation costs. We're going to make sure we're setting up facilities on rail spurs to use rail transport. We're going to optimize in communities to do this locally and intake the product in regional hubs. And then we're going to deploy third-party software in order to track and validate the entire process to everyone's satisfaction to make the most validated net carbon credit on earth. And then here's the good news. When we take that carbon into the cement guy's business, now the cement guy signs up for our program because he wants to be a sink. And because hemp makes 20,000 to 50,000 products, we can spread this system into every industry on earth and make them start keeping an accountability of their carbon and then neutralizing it. My gracious. When do you sleep, Clayton? <laughs> what do you have to right? Don't don't call Clayton and ask him what the score of the ball game was. He ain't got time to watch any of that. I really don't. <laughs> I really don't know anything going on with sports. That would be a bad podcast for me to be on. <laughs> you mean they've they've that every other guest is taken if you're the podcast guy for sports. Is that what you're saying? Right. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. I can tell you about traumatic brain injury, but I don't have a lot going on about what's going on with sport. <laughs> well, talk to us more for the us us liberal artists arts majors okay more specifically about this battery okay so yeah. i mean <clears throat> excuse me so how how does how does that i don't mean all the secret sauce work, work. No, no, i'm happy to show I mean, some i mean how does that really come about and so make that to me is just regular old household nick why yeah. why why is he gonna be able to have uh, 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 a hemp 
based battery. Yeah, so I want to mention that there are some other folks in the hemp battery space that have done amazing hemp battery work that precedes me as well and are great people. I would say Chris Martell and David Mitlin, um, both of whom I've spoken to in a professional capacity about what I'm doing. Um, I'd also give a shout out to Proton Power and Dr. Weaver. Um, uh, they have some very exciting work that they've done over the years. And um, with those folks in mind, uh, what inspired me was knowing that hemp could be made conductive. And and so the, the type of machinery that we brought in and we built is called HPLC, high precision liquid chromatography. You have to use ions um, in a big tower to separate individual molecules and then divert them by stream. It's the most advanced type of chemistry on earth. Now, I'm never completed high school. I've been just working at this stuff. I, I was a paralegal for years and then, you know, just got into this and uh, worked for banks and did ram foreclosure for them and stuff. But I never, uh, never pursued science. I just pursued litigation and process right at, at these facilities. But when I came in with that into this business where in hemp and cannabis, it really 10 years ago, it was a lot of just hippies that wanted to get the medicine out. You know, they didn't, they didn't track all the business aspect of it. Uh, um, so with that being said, um, I, I had done a very advanced chemistry. And so by being able to do that with my biochemical engineer, I took a team like it was, but it was, my mother had taught herself how to do HPLC. She was, uh, uh she'd passed away, but she was a, um, uh, she had gotten her master's in apothecary science actually. Wow. Yeah. So she's not a chemist, but an apothecary scientist. Yeah. So. But I bet she can fix my male pattern baldness. I hate that <laughs> she got anything. Anything laying around there, let me know. <laughs> Hook me up on that, right? <laughs> Definitely, man. And so she had this idea, like, I want to get an HPLC and isolate. And I was like, yeah, but the, everyone's telling me it's too complicated. But then when she passed, I was like, let me give it a shot. I think maybe that was a good idea. So we we did it, and we started making scaled machinery with a group called CXTH out of China. And then they have the largest CBD molecular isolator on the planet. So we helped them design that and ran the pilot for it. So when I realized we could do that, when I heard that someone could make carbon that was conductive out of hemp, I thought, well, why can't we do that? Let's go figure it out. So I'd already been following graphene for years just as a hobby. I can't help but read 10 or 20 science articles per day. And now that it's my full-time job, you know, I'm up to 30 or so. I just all day long is that's why I don't have the time for sports. So, uh, so with that, I knew the many processes for turning carbon conductive. And the trick for us was how do we do it naturally and how do we eliminate chemicals? And then how do we now generate energy as a surplus? Because there's energy occurring here all over and there's gases coming off and how do we get that? And then how do we find the right machine in the world? Because I had, I knew it had to have already been built. I knew that what we needed had to exist. We just had to define it in the industries out there. I, I, I often have this theory that anything you want in life has probably already been built for the most part. It's very rare at this point in time where you get an invention, right? Today, it's just clock radios. It's the guy who invented clock radio is a genius. He took a radio and a clock and now clocks are on everything. You can't look anywhere without a clock. Here. Right, right, right. Your phone, everywhere, like, you know, put a clock on everything. So, so that's more of what inventions are today, but to find something unique is, is tricky. And so, for the battery, it became, well, what are all the components in a battery? You've got a conductive side, a non-conductive side. You've got an electrolyte. You've got some sort of spacer. And you're trying to make electrons line up on a material and transit from one end to another. So 
we need an anode, a cathode, we need a separator, we need a binding agent, and we need a conductive and non-conductive carbon to act as the ground and as the place for the electrons to line up on the opposite of the ground. And so we have to have that system in place. And then we need an electrolyte that would work um, for our products. So for our process that we did, because I couldn't get a hold of wood vinegar in time, which would have worked fine. Um, wood vinegar is a byproduct of pyrolysis as well. And that's what we use for our electrolyte. I don't imagine this battery ever going to production scale, but there is a production scale version of it, which I'll get to. Um, but uh, this, uh, uh, this product then, uh, we took two pieces of paper and we put them side by side. Um, we took the carbon, which has to be milled down to about two micron and has to be made conductive and non-conductive. And then I took some CBD and THC distillate and I made wax paper essentially by making the paper really sticky. And you need to have a binding agent to hold something to the paper like carbon because getting the stuff to clump up on paper is actually kind of tricky. So if you take a 20 ton press, and you compress that paper. Now you make these nice little sheets of paper that have the carbon stuck to it. And so you have your binding agent is also made out of hemp, the paper, 100% hemp paper. And then now you've got the hemp carbon on each side. You just take that guy like on the video on the YouTube, you drop him in the baking soda and without charging it up or anything, you get a pretty decent charge coming right off immediately that's sustainable. And that battery will dissolve over time uh, in there. The production model version of it is actually kind of interesting. There's a material called aerogel that can be made from cellulose or silica. It's the um, lightest weight structural material ever created. And this material is ultra lightweight and it's structural. And you could take it and add carbon to it, a conductive carbon or non-conductive carbon. And if you make that conductive carbon and non-conductive carbon almost atomic, and you affix it to this material with a hypersonic De Laval sprayer, which is a special kind of spray nozzle, you can coat the aerogel plates that you create with this material. And to put it in perspective, one tablespoon of this material has the same surface area as a football field. So what you're going to do is you're going to make something that weighs barely more than air, that conducts electricity with the surface area of a football field and weighs nothing and then is all made from hemp. And that can go into a more toxic or worse electrolyte. However, when you recycle a battery, like a lithium ion battery or so on, you use six times the energy that it takes to make a new battery. Wow. So if we looked at batteries like a bottle deposit, and you had to pay six times the battery cost, then you might start switching over to another battery that maybe isn't as great as lithium ion, but serves its purpose just fine. <laughs> and, right. and, and, and then you would have a battery that when you're done with it, you would just take the, the, the container, which could also be, by the way, plastic made from hemp and, you know, where you offset about 30% of the plastic. And then you can take the casing off, wash the electrolyte out, deal with the electrolyte and repurpose it. And then the center is just cellulose and carbon and you can, you can toss it. And because of its massive surface area and lightweight, it'll perform pretty damn well. I mean, it's possible that it could outperform lithium ion because of those advantages. So um, not to say that you couldn't add lithium ion to it to make it even better. So there's a little bit of the bo both worlds there, but um, you know, there, we are looking at these systems for ways to, to, 
fix this entire process. Um, also in cement and plastics as well. We have some pretty exciting stuff we're doing there. Absolutely, man. You know, this is so exciting to hear about these things. And part of it is too, <clears throat> the more that we spend time every day, you know, trying to find uh, good markets for our growers to be able to know that the hemp is coming in and to, to think about the diversity of the types of things that we can be involved in. We don't just have to live on, you know, any one or two of these things, right? We just joined up to uh, be a part of the U.S. Hemp Building Association, right? And Love so, them. Yeah, no, I, they're the best. I know. And we just, I just, I just, uh, we did their annual meeting I'm about to be even more involved in what they're doing and we think it's awesome okay of all the stuff that they've got going on and that's terrific i also love eric and Anna at the um at the nha they're they're a huge resource and a big help Jeff whalen um all those folks do a lot of work as well um yeah, yeah. i mean so we're all i mean we're all yeah, everybody's trying to figure out how to get there which is great right i mean and so it's a it's a great opportunity to be a part of all that i think i mean it's great time yeah. for us. well i consult and educate for both of those groups i was actually um uh, i started uh help start the social equity committee because we our token has a social equity aspect to it as well mm -hmm. um and we um uh, for the nha and then um i also have done presentations for the ushba and help them out as well uh, alona over there is great and that. so yeah so we um so i've been educating with them for a while and uh, also there's a curriculum um that i did have a part in building though i wasn't able to complete with them uh that is going to be released um to help people who are often left behind like um uh, uh you disproportionately marijuana laws have targeted my minorities. Women have been left out of the aspect of farming as well as gay people. So it's, it's a way to, to give some assistance to folks that are traditionally left out of hemp and cannabis um, so that, you know, they can get some assistance. And, and to that, we actually built that into our token as well. So like um, one of the aspects that we're looking at when we release to run you through the whole process of what we do for the farmer, because that's what at the end of the day, what this is about right. is, is, you think about the farmer growing his plant in the, seed, uh, in the field, right? And he wants to secure that this is going to be sold, that someone wants to buy this, that, that, that you know, if he's going to put this sure. work, it's going to go to right. market. That's the biggest concern they have. So then you have things like carbon credits that are the picture and you want to get some, you want to do regenerative farming because you're a good person. And then on top of that, you know, if you're going to be able to get paid for it, amazing. So you want a system to be able to do that. So for us, what we're doing is with the marketplace, we're going to companies and saying, hey, right now there's a run on carbon credits at a price of 150 or more dollars. Like things are crazy for net negative validated carbon credits, maybe up to $1,000, depending per ton per cost, if you really look at some of them. And so if you're looking at these kind of costs, we're going to guarantee you a price of X, but you got to buy this future right here of what we're going to do with this farmer in the future. And if this farmer can't fulfill it, the next farmer will fulfill it, but we're going to have a bounty of carbon credits available. And if you download our app and you start making these carbon credits and validating and going through our process of validating with us, then having third parties validate, then we'll send those carbon credit monies directly to you farmer. As soon as you complete the process and it moves to the next step in the supply chain, then we'll know that you did it. It will all be done. It'll be locked into the blockchain forever. No one can go back and audit the records or edit the records, but we can audit them in perpetuity. So that way all the data is encapsulated. Uh, that transaction and that act is actually how we mine the token right now. They spend a lot of energy to keep token uh, tokens from overinflating. You, so there are these really hard algorithms that they have to crack in order to get these numbers that, that take up massive amounts of energy. Oh. Bitcoin alone would account as one of the top 30 countries 
producing needing power. So they worldwide they use enough power as if they were a top thirty country. I never even thought about that. Yeah, with us, our algorithm is field one this year, field two this year, field three this year. Why? Because America. And the world only has so many acres. We know the inflation rate. It's the number of people who planted fields and signed up with us. So we know what the inflation rate is going to be. It's however many of them were successful out of that percentage that yielded the coin. So our yes, it'll fluctuate depending on, did, was it El Nino this year? Was there a locust swarm? But it's going to do it based on real things that happen in the real world. And so, and real production product. And you don't get a token unless you actually do the action. Then you get the token. So you're doing something in the real world that's now sequestered during carbon and then you're getting a reward so it's a protocol if you made money doing that you're going to lay down more fields and here's how you make the money and this is really sweet this car this company gives you this this money it comes to you in tokens which are exchangeable to cash so we exchange them right out for cash or you can let them sit as a little investment and they're a diversified pool of different assets including other tokens and so on that are publicly available so you always know what the coins made up the nft token is made up of and then that can be transacted for goods with other businesses and so on as if a utility token so you can use it as regular cash if you want to or you can exchange it we're on algorand so we have an exchange through algorand to take it to cash so you can cash right out and then you're good to go um with that you can think of it this way we're going to give a sliver of that money from the token generation to the company that buys the carbon credit for the future. They'll get like 1% or a couple percent, right? And it's gonna be vested over say five years or so. But what that means is if these tokens have any sort of scarcity to them, and mind you, a normal Bitcoin has no actual assets. And if you liquidate it, it's got no base value. It's just a bunch of energy you're sinking down a hole. Ours has real money on it. That will never go away, that is generating its own asset flow and can be transacted for scarcity. So if you value this carbon neutral commodity that is literally an investment in saving the future, if it starts to raise in value due to scarcity and mind you, you can't mine more of these. You have to go build a farm, have to start getting in the soil. These will be a real process to get. But when you have them, if they raise in value, which we assume just based on those aspects, it will, uh, and that will split them in order to transact them, uh, uh, then you can think of it this way. A farmer buys these tokens, he gets 50 bucks. But by the next year or the year after, maybe those that, that investment's worth 150 bucks. So if you can get up to the 150 to $300 of field level, look at Malawi, look at Thailand, look at look at South America. Farmers there only make 150 to $300 of field. And those people need food, housing, clothing, all of the stuff that we can put in chain to produce for them. And there's also security issues of people taking your money, of warlords rolling up on you, of of governments trying to shift you up with a coin wallet. You're getting direct distribution right to the people who need it right in their wallet. And then what can they do? If if we gave every farmer in the world a thousand dollar token, every time they planted a field, they could give the food away for free to cover the carbon costs of the growing industrialized world. And in that way, all of the carbon that we're using can actually be paid for to the the developing world who does not use any minute, minuscule amount of the carbon budget of the earth, right? And so if we're looking for offsets, it's gonna be developing nations. And so this system ultimately, yes, it'll help the American farmer, it'll put money in their pocket. If you go nuts about it and you think about these tokens eventually being worth $35,000, that's a direct redistribution of wealth to the farmer via capitalism. 
And so, you know, like, and that's what a Bitcoin's worth. So if this process takes off and if it does its job correctly, as we transact the inventory, as these processes occur, it'll all be in line with your token, micro contracts paying the parties involved, and we bring it to market. And we don't have small slouches on this. I mean, Global Logic was recently purchased by Hitachi for about $10 billion. And in addition to that, we have Algorand and they're the first carbon neutral blockchain. So we have real serious people on this. Clayton, you know, you're like drinking water from a fire hydrant, my man. I mean, you got so much going on. That's terrific. I mean, be able to do it. And I'm, and I, and I'm really proud of myself for knowing I caught about 10% of it. So that was even, that was even better about that. No, look, man, I'm so glad you spent some time with us today to tell us all about the things that you're doing with hemp blockchain, specifically these really cool things, not only just with the blockchain and the tokens we spoke about, but then also as it goes back to the batteries and, 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 um, uh, finding all these unique and creative ways to make sure that you're using the whole plant for a whole purpose. Um, uh, even more markets for, for folks like us that are looking for places for, for, for uh, uh, our footprint to, you know, to be, to be involved with. Man, it's really, really cool to know what all you're doing. Um, uh, tell us when folks want to learn more about you and what you're doing, where is the best place for them to uh, connect with you? Yeah, of course. Um, you can reach me at cturner at thehempblockchain.com. And you can go to the hempblockchain.com website. Um, you can also Google Clayton Turner Hemp if you want to just learn more about what I'm up to. It's a pretty good search algorithm. Uh, there is another Clayton Turner out there that's beating me on Google. He's the head of NASA for Houston. Uh, he's ah. the first black head of NASA. So he's got a lot of good press. He's hard okay. to compete with. I am on the first page, but just type right. hemp after my name. You'll find me. Right. Other than that guy, right? Yeah. You're, you're killing it, right? Right. I mean, other than that, that's exactly right. Hey, look, one of the things that we're all excited about is um, energy and what we can do for um, uh, 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 particularly biofuels and, and, and renewable energy. And that's why we are glad to be a part as a sponsoring organization of the International Biomass Conference. It's taking place. Uh, the 14th through the 16th in Jacksonville, Florida. So if you are interested in learning more about that and wanting to participate and wanting to uh, uh, be a part of that, we're going to be down there with all kind of bells and whistles and others will as well. And so um, when you can and how you can uh, uh, learn more about the International Biomass Conference going on down in Jacksonville, you can Google that up. It's got a big old long name uh, that you can find it out and find out their website and learn more about that. Clayton Turner uh, with Hemp Blockchain. Man, we're so tickled to death to have you here with us. And uh, I look forward to watching and learning more of the good things that you're doing. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.